My message today is, will there ever be better times? Have you ever find, found yourself in that situation and you just wonder, could it possibly ever get back to normal? Could it possibly ever get better? And you wonder, right, whatever the situation that you're in, and as I preach this sermon, our world has once again been turned over in many ways as Hamas in Gaza have attacked Israel and has done it in such a, a surprising way, an awful way, and, and hundreds and hundreds of people have been murdered in such a gruesome way and some taken captive. And the world once again is on the brink of major conflict. And many people wonder how this is going to end. Could this go into a major world War, and it could. We don't know. I guess those listening to this message down the road, you know. Don't you wish we could fast forward and, and find out what's going on in the world? But often we can't. We don't know what's coming around the bend. And so I hope that I can give you with Scripture an answer to the question, will there ever be better times? And you know what I feel about that, because of course, even today and even tomorrow, even in the midst of trial and conflict, we can have a God that brings refreshment and better times. Today in the series, To the Ends of the Earth, our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts, we're going to continue to talk about the spreading of the good news. The spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ that started in Jerusalem and it continued to spread in a concentric circle like a rock thrown into a pond all the way to the region around Jerusalem, Judea, further into another region north of Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that good news has reached us. And we are so thankful for the word of God, and we're thankful for people that brought us the gospel. And that's what this series is all about. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And there are better times ahead for those who have put their trust in Jesus, for those that have received the good news and have believed in Jesus as Savior. So far in the series, we've witnessed the ascension of Jesus He promised to return, and he is coming back, and that's part of the uh, reinstitution of better times, will be be his kingdom and beyond. We talked about the birth of the church on the Jewish festival of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit of the one true God had come upon the believers there in Jerusalem and, and they were speaking in languages that they had never learned. Oh, I would love to do that. Wouldn't you? Have you ever been in a, in a country and you hear people talking and they're probably talking about you and they don't think you know the language and you don't. But if you did, you would know what they were saying about you. Oh, I wish I had that gift. I believe that the sign gifts have ceased and I don't believe that, uh, the gift of tongues is for today, but boy, that would have been an exciting thing to be able to do. But Christians that didn't know those languages were now speaking the languages from foreigners that were all over Jerusalem, from all over the world. 
What an amazing time that must have been. Peter, the coward, sorry, Peter, but you know, he was so bold and, and he was the one that would say, I, I will never deny you, denies Jesus three times. The coward, though, in Acts turns into a courageous man of God that preaches one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. And when you get into Acts, you read the power of God upon Peter. What a change. What changed Peter? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only explanation. If you want to know, how do we know for sure Jesus rose again? That's one of the things that I look at. What turned Peter from a coward into a courageous man of God? It had to be, he saw Jesus. And then in this series, we also learned that Peter preached to a massive crowd. Remember, the Jews had come from all over the world and one of the three main festivals, holidays, religious days in Jerusalem. And Peter preached a sermon that was so powerful that 3,000 people responded in faith. 3,000 believed and were saved. What a glorious thing that was as the church without gimmicks and seeker-friendly methodology with just the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many people were convicted of the truth of that and were saved. And that's where I think we need to be more bold with our testimony and with our witness because sometimes we think, there's no way anyone will listen to me. Well, don't worry about that because all you're doing is telling them what God did and then he's going to be the one that will convince that person of the truth of what you said. You don't have to have every answer. All you have to do is be able to share the message of hope, which is really simple. Jesus, the son of God, died on a cross and rose again, died for our sins. And if you'll trust to him, you'll be saved. Wow, what a simple, what powerful message. And Peter preached that message. 3,000 people were saved. The church was growing. The church was excited. The church was unified. They had everything in common. They were selling things and, and giving it to the church that they could use that for the gospel. And I hope and I pray that our church can be like the early church in the book of Acts. I do. And I think we are in many ways, in most ways. But they were turning the world upside down. And that's really what the whole book of Acts is all about. And then Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And on the way, they passed a man who was lame, who had never walked since birth. Can you even imagine life? Especially in that day. I don't think they had Americans with Disability Act legislation on the books. I don't think they had uh, lifts that would bring you up the stage or buttons that would open doors or elevators. I mean, think of the life in the ancient world when you had a, a disability and he was relegated to begging and, and that's all he could do. And certainly he must have been filthy and, and, and ragged and there his feet were all shriveled and his legs were shriveled and he sat at the gate called Beautiful. And I love going to Jerusalem and I love going up to the Temple Mount. And I just imagine what the temple would have looked like. And the Bible says it will be rebuilt. But there, in, in that environment, Peter and John going up to pray, they healed this man. And it was just the most amazing miracle. So let's start today at the end of that miracle. This is what the book of Acts says. And there's a beautiful children's song that I love uh, that goes along with this. Acts 3.8, it says, And he leaping up stood... 
Remember, never once has he walked. Never once has he been able to move around by himself, maybe crawling, but certainly without someone's help. He didn't just stand up. He didn't stand up slowly. He leapt up. And I bet he had one of the the highest verticals ever recorded. He walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Do you see the excitement here? Don't you think the people would be excited? And, And certainly they were drawing a crowd. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. Everybody had passed this guy a thousand times. Most of the people had paid him no attention. Just walked right on by. Don't make eye contact. Right? You've done that. And I'm careful to give to someone begging, especially if they look able-bodied. I'm very, very hesitant. We have a lot of people that come by the church looking for money. And we don't. we have a policy not to give money until we know someone pretty well. Um, because often, you know, the, the money is not spent properly. And, uh, but we'll go get people a box of food. And usually p- people don't want a box of food. They don't want to ride to the mission. <laughs> they, they want cash. So anyways, this man really had a need. And certainly if you were ever to help someone, this would be the person to give money to. And he was coming in with them. And, and the people were just filled with wonder and amazement at what that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So there's a place on the Temple Mount where they believe they had a series of columns and a portico and a roof called Solomon's Porch. And that's where this scene would have taken place. It's actually on the southern end of the Temple Mount. And it would be just a little bit to the east of the Al-Aqsa Mosque that is there currently. What a crowd, what a wonderful thing, what a buzz that was going around. Remember, Jerusalem had been a buzz since Passover. Remember, Passover had been just a couple months earlier, and that's when Jesus died, and that's when he rose again three days later, and just all of these things kept happening in Jerusalem. Here's another wonderful and amazing thing causing a stir. So the first thing I want to point out in this text is that Peter promoted God. Look at Peter's response to the people. They were wondering. They were amazed at what had happened. And Peter, in Acts 3.12, when he saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel. Now, let me just take a second and, and stop for a minute and just tell you this. We have to be a little more careful on how we respond to our Jewish friends and neighbors Than Peter. Why? Well, Peter is Jewish. Peter was there. Peter had, he could say whatever he wanted to say. We, we need to be careful. We need to be delicate. We also don't need to be so careful and delicate. We never speak truth, right? So, so here, Peter's just gonna, he's gonna lay it out there. You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? And I love the fact that Peter answered. Peter took the opportunity. There's no implicit question here. If you read the text, it's not like they're saying, Peter, did your holiness or did your power perform this? But there was like this this question hanging in the air. Right? And so... We have so many opportunities 
when we could say something, but we don't. We refrain. We don't want to push. We don't want to be thought of as, you know, arrogant or pushy, or we don't want to be accused as, you know, holier than thou. So we often keep our mouths closed when we have a beautiful opportunity to speak. And Peter took that opportunity. He answered, it says. And, and Peter was very careful to tell the folks that were witnesses of this miracle that the miracle had nothing to do with him. So this is something that I admire with Peter. He would later tell the same thing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. It is so tempting as things are going well and there's growth and there's baptisms and there's salvations to start to think that we had something to do with that. No, God uses the humble. God uses the weak. And as long as we stay humble and as long as we realize our weakness in and of ourselves, we have nothing to offer, but we are just going to be used by God, moved by God, and we're going to open our mouths to speak when God wants us to, to take those opportunities, but we're also going to use it to give God the credit and give God the glory. That's exactly what Peter did. So I hope that we all learn to promote God every chance we get, every time anyone gives us a compliment here, certainly they were wondering, This was, was this Peter, was this John, was this power that they had, was this their holiness? He said, no, this is God, this is God. And look at the second thing, Peter preached the resurrection, and this is something that we can never get away from. The resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity. If you want to say, how do we know the Bible's true? How do we know Christianity's true? How do we know Jesus really is God? The resurrection. The only person in all of history that raised himself from the dead. It is a powerful message. It proves everything. It proves that Jesus is who he said he was, God in flesh. And yes, he died, but he raised again. So Peter is again, I wouldn't say preaching, but he certainly well, maybe I would call it preaching. He's, he's talking to the crowd that's assembled and he's sharing with them truth. And this is a truth that he has to include. This is an important component of the gospel. Acts 3.13. He says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, there's one God, right? Hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, let me just stop for a second again and say this. We have to be very careful of how we talk to our Jewish friends and neighbors. And and for centuries, people have done harm to them and abused them because they say they killed Jesus. Now, Peter can say this because he was them. (laughs) He was there. Uh, And and certainly they they were culpable as a nation. At least the religious leadership of that day 
were part of this whole thing. We can't say they weren't. And I, and I, and I sometimes wonder, is this why God has allowed some of the horrors, some of the things that they've had to face because they, they didn't recognize as a nation Jesus as their Messiah? The Bible says they will. And, and we, we have to love them. We have to be, be so compassionate. Why? Because Jesus is Jewish. Because this is a Jewish book. And I, and I feel compelled to love our Jewish friends. And I've been invited to a Shabbat dinner. And I've, I'm looking forward to going and to, to sharing um, the, the scriptures with the people that invited us this week. And so it's true, though. It's true. Jesus died, but he was raised from the dead. And and Peter said, we are witnesses. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a witness of Jesus resurrected? But you are, right? If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have said, I believe Jesus is the son of God who died for me on the cross, you are a witness to the resurrected Jesus. Now, you might not have seen him with your eyes, but your, your, your faith is better than sight. And, and you have seen the resurrected Christ. And one day you'll physically, visibly be able to see him and, and be with him. And that'll be a wonderful day. But here, Peter preaches the truth. This is what happened. This is the historical record. What happened? He's talking to the crowd in the environs of the temple, in the temple, in Solomon's porch. And he connects Jesus to Abraham. And, and, and we can't subtract the Old Testament from the, from the scriptures because it's, a, it's the basis. Why does he connect Jesus to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Now, this is the, the promise in verse 3 to bless those that bless Abraham's descendants. But in verse 2, it says, I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this a conditional promise? It is not. This is a one-way promise. This is God telling Abraham something. Not Abraham agreeing or Abraham uh, you know, negotiating with God. This is God one way communication. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Verse three. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. How has Abraham blessed everybody on the planet? Jesus. Descendant of Abraham. So Peter here connects the dots to his Jewish brethren. In Galatians 3.16, he further connects the dots and he says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, right? Abraham and his seed. I'm not, unfortunately, the seed of Abraham. I wish I was. Spiritually, I am. I've been grafted in. But, but humanly speaking, I'm not. And some of you are. And I'm jealous and I had a, I had one of those DNA tests and I was looking for something cool like Jewish ancestry and I found none. Thanks, mom and dad. But uh, it says to Abraham and to his seed where the promises made, he saith not and to the seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is 
Christ. Now, why is he mentioning seed? Well, this is this this promise that was made to Abraham that one of his descendants, one of his the, the seeds that came through him would be the one that would bless the whole world. So the promise made to Abraham went directly through Jesus Christ, but the promise was first made to Adam. Look at Genesis 3.15. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Who is thee? He's talking to the serpent. The serpent is representing Satan. Okay? You can read about that in Revelation. He's the old serpent, the devil. Okay? Between thee, the serpent, and the woman, there's this enmity. Between thy seed and her seed. Who are the seeds of the devil? Everyone that's been born that has not been redeemed. The ch- Jesus called them the children of the devil. Okay? And the woman, or the, the seed of the woman, will be Jesus Christ. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So ultimately, the, the head wound is the fatal wound. The heel wound is the, you know, certainly a wound that hurts. Jesus was crucified, but he rose again. He dealt at the very moment the devil thought he had won, Jesus dealt the devil a head wound. But it all comes down to the seed. Satan had duped Israel's religious leaders and tricked them into choosing Barabbas, a murderer, over the most innocent of men that has ever lived. There's been no one more innocent of anything than Jesus. And he was selected, not selected, he was selected to die over a murderer? I mean, talk about the, 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 how Satan had tricked them, had switched it on them. In Matthew 27, 21, it says, the governor answered and said unto them, whether of the twain will ye release, will that I release unto you? You got a choice. He thought he was going to get out of this whole thing. He's like, well, you know, I don't want to do this. My wife told me not to do this. Listen to your wife. But he said, okay, I'll, uh, you know, your custom is to release someone and I'm going to offer you this just despicable man, Barabbas. Well, they picked Barabbas. They picked Barabbas. And Peter bring, brings this up. It had just happened just a couple months earlier. They had taken a wooden nickel. Have any of you ever taken a wooden nickel? Why can't I say that? Have any of you ever taken a wooden nickel? Uh, my dad used to say, don't take a wooden nickel. It's kind of a funny saying, isn't it? Somebody said it's because the wood nickels back in the day would expire quickly. I don't know why. Maybe they would rot or something. And so I've never really taken a wooden nickel, but he told me not to. So I've been very careful about that my whole life. But they had, they had been duped. They had been tricked. The serpent thought he had won. They released a murderer for this innocent Jesus. That's what happened. He brings that up, but he also talks about how he died and how he rose again. The resurrection makes it all okay. Now look at what else Peter mentions in the third point. Peter revealed fulfilled prophecy. This is why we need to know the Hebrew scriptures, folks. We need to know what the Bible has to say. It says in Acts 3.17, and now, brethren, I what, or I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. I love that Peter is forceful, but he's also starting to show some tenderness here, 
right? Sometimes you have to kind of wake people up. You, 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 and here he's switching from a prosecuting attorney to a defense attorney. He just accused them of being tricked and, uh, you know, choosing a murderer over certainly Jesus was better than a murderer. Even if you don't think he's God, he's better than a Barabbas, right? So he, he's now softening it a little bit. He's now showing a little more tenderness. Even though they were guilty of an enormous crime, but, but we all are, folks. One sin separates us from a holy God. We all are guilty. Jesus died for my sins. So if you're going to blame anyone, blame me for Jesus' death. And he says, but you did it through ignorance. I know that, as did your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish prophets that had written by inspiration of God that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. So most of the, the Jewish people didn't get that aspect of the, mess, of the Messiah. They felt the Messiah would come as a savior and free them from oppression. That's what they all thought. That's what they, that's even the disciples thought that. And, and it's true. That's the part of the Messiah. He's going to come and save people from the dilemma, from the oppression, from the, from the evil. But there were plenty of prophecies that also talked about a suffering Messiah. They missed that. And so Peter is saying here that this was predicted, that, that the Messiah would suffer, that the Messiah would die. The Jewish people should have known the following prophecies in Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus died. He was pierced, the Messiah. And this was predicted. And then in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 11, it says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Prediction after prediction pointed out that the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one promised in Genesis 3.15 and, and continued all the way through the scriptures. Even in the Abrahamic covenant, we find the Messiah, the, uh, the anointed one, I think is, is the verbiage that it's used. That's the Messiah. That's actually the, the Hebrew word for Messiah. Isaiah 35, 6, then shall the lame man leap as a heart, as a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. This is exactly what was happening here in our story in Acts, but also Jesus did the same thing. Jesus healed people. And these were prophecies. These were predictions of the Messiah, but they weren't paying attention and you know what? Because of those prophecies, Peter, I think, is saying, listen, this man who's standing, probably still holding on to Peter and John, so excited, so happy that he can now walk. This man is a, a micro picture of Israel. 
They think they're fine, but, and, and by the way, all of us, not just Israel, but all of us, we think we're fine. We think we're, we're better than the other guy. And so we're going to be okay. And the final judgment, but we're really shriveled up and lame, laying on the ground in tatters without any hope. That's really our situation. And then God comes along and the power of Jesus can heal and instantly restore that individual. That can be us. That could have been the nation of Israel. That can be you. Once you realize your situation and you put your trust in the name of Jesus, the one who died and rose again for you, you will be healed from not just physical infirmities. One day you will, but you'll instantly be healed from the spiritual infirmity of eternal hell and separation from God. Well, the people knew this man. They knew that his ankles and his feet had been shriveled. They knew now that his legs were strong. And I wonder if his, his muscles were actually, you know, like bodybuilder legs, you know, bulging with muscles. And, and all of that happened because of the name of Jesus. The man's faith had made him change from a lame man to a leaping man. And this could happen for them as a, as a people, as a nation, certainly as individuals, if they would only believe. And then number four, we find in the study, will it, will there ever be better times? Peter invited them to be saved. And this is what he said in Acts 3.19. He said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to talk about the times of refreshing in just a few minutes, but let's talk about repent and be converted. He had already used this verbiage, metanoio is the Greek word, which means to change your attitude, to change your mind. What were they changing their mind about? I think they were needing to change their mind about their own situation. They weren't fine. They were just like that lame man. They needed to realize their, their situation, their sinful condition. And then they were also needing to change their mind about Jesus. He wasn't a fraud. He wasn't worse than a murderer. He was God. He came. He didn't do anything wrong. He died for our sins. Changing their mind about who he was and putting their trust in him. And when that happens, you are converted. There's an instantaneous thing that happens. Uh, salvation is not a process. Some churches teach that. You know, you just got to be better. You got to do good. You got to be religious. And then one day, maybe, hopefully, you'll end up in purgatory. Although that's not even in the Bible. Okay? No, no, no. Salvation is instantaneous. The Bible says you can pass from death to life. It, it, it talks about it being, you're born. Like, do you, do you call your, your children's birth into this world a, a progressive, long process? Now, some of you took, like our kids took their sweet time coming into this world. But man, once they were born, they were born. They were into this world. And the Bible says that we can be born again. And that happens at that very instant of faith. That very instant moment when we believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. That as sinners, we need a savior. And we're putting our trust in Jesus. At that very second, we're born again. We're converted. And then our sins are blotted out. I love that. Not just our past sins, not just the present sins, but our future sins, all sins. Weren't all sins future when Jesus died? Think about that. 
think about that. Your sins may be obliterated, wiped out by trusting Jesus Christ. You've been converted from death to life. You are now a living, eternal, never-to-die believer. And then it says, when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I love that, that sentence. There's something striking about the words, the times of refreshing. And I know that when we, when we are in life and things are hard and things are rough and things are tough and, and the world seems to be falling apart and, and, and it seems like war could be on the horizon for even this country as in the conflict with Hamas and Israel, we've moved the, the world's most powerful navy into the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Does that make you a little nervous? I hope it does. I hope that shakes you up. I was able to interview Pastor Menno Kalischer, pastor in Jerusalem, and he said, the only reason I think that all of this happened, he said, for Israel to be caught off guard from such a well-designed and planned attack that had to have been planned for months or years, he said, the only thing he can think of is God blinded us for some reason. Like how, how, he said, how could we have missed this with the world's, one of the world's most advanced intelligence organizations? They missed it because God wanted to wake them up, he said. And, and God, I think, wants to wake us up. God wants to wake us up. And maybe it's not the, the conflict in Israel, but maybe it's a conflict in your life and your family. There's, there's a problem with your, your health or your job or whatever it is. These things shake us up and we wonder, will there ever be better times? And the answer is yes. Let me read a couple passages of better times when Jesus, first of all, go back and look at Acts 3, 19, when it says, the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So, so what is, what is this talking about? Well, let me read you a couple passages that I believe are referring to the millennial reign of Jesus. He's coming back to sit on the throne of David. He's a descendant of David. David was Israel's most illustrious king. And Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem physically and rule for a thousand years and then on into eternity with a new heaven and a new earth. And, and Daniel 2.44 speaks of that. In the days of these kings shall God, the God of heaven, set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. We have a lot of governments. We have a lot of kingdoms in this world. And it's sad to see many of them oppose God and the things of God. But one day there's a kingdom. It's that, uh, that rock that destroys the statue and all of the kingdoms of the world from Babylon on down to the mighty Roman and the revised Roman Empire are demolished by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Things are going to get better in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11.5 speaks of this, and it says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. If you put a wolf and a lamb together in the same enclosure in your zoo, you will only have one animal the next day, and it won't be the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. 
the calf and the young lion, the fatling together. These things aren't going to happen today. Why? Because of the curse of sin. But there's going to be a day when all that will be reversed and it'll be a glorious day and you'll be finding yourself like Daniel petting lions. (laughs) I think we'll be a little scared at first, but then uh, we'll get used to it. And we took our our little um, Chloe, who just turned three, to a dinosaur thing and they had all these dinosaurs and they were animatronic. And she's usually really scared of stuff, but she was into the dinosaurs. She's going to be a dinosaur wrangler, I think, in the millennium. The little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. The young one shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The suckling child shall play in the hole of an asp, and the weaned child shall put his head hand in a cockatrice den. The millennial kingdom will just be amazing, peaceful, glorious. Everything's going to get better, folks. Amos nine thirteen. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. The treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. This is how abundant and how beautiful and how incredible the earth is going to be. Things are going to get better. The mountain shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land and they shall be, they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. As I read these words, I'm shocked again of how Israel and the Jewish people have been plucked up again in this latest awful thing that has happened in Israel. But there's a day when that will end. They will be regathered. They will look upon whom them, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. And be saved. And so it is that there is a better future guaranteed for those that know Jesus Christ as Savior. And let me just say this we don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom to have things better. Actually, things are better right now. Why? Because no longer are we under condemnation. We now have the power of God in our lives, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And that can get you, I mean, if you really really felt like you had God on your side and right with you and actually inside you right now, all things are possible, right? You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be scared. Times are actually better right now. But usually we don't realize that as we should. But Jesus is coming back. We can have those times of refreshment now, but certainly it'll be a glorious time the times of refreshment in the future. And I love the fact that whenever you've uh, had a hard day and worked hard and, and you're hot and you're sweaty and you sit down under some shade and you have a little cool breeze and somebody brings up a clanking glass of lemonade and ice and you just take that sip and it's just the waves of refreshment sweep over you. That's how I imagine the millennial kingdom, the glories of heaven to be but I think we can also experience that today. Let me ask you a question. Have you made a decision to put your faith in Jesus? If you haven't done that, do it right now. He died for you. He is God in the flesh. He never sinned one time. He died on a cross for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. He rose again. The penalty has been paid. Now just accept the gift called eternal life by faith. By believing Jesus died and rose again for your sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, and you will be saved, not just today, but forever. And then we can have times of refreshing. And that's a glorious thought in these turbulent times.